0: Hello everyone, my name is Alex, and you're listening to Chapter 3 of Social Dreaming. I strike a match and hold it to the stove. Blue gas snaps into life. As the flames whir, the smell of gas seeps from the stove, I'm unqualified, I say, sliding a pot of eggs. How will I survive? I ask, turning to the room beside the kitchen. Mom is peering at her computer, headphones clamped on her ears. My favorite theory is that I will cycle through all of the universe's consciousnesses. According to that theory, one day I'll be mom. So I should be more patient with her answers. I pick at the skin on my lip. Mom? Her shoulders are tense, her hair tight in a knot. Imposter syndrome is a common feeling, she says, without peeling her gaze from the screen. How long is this job? The teacher didn't say. Until the end of the year, I suppose. Late at night, after I stop thinking, but before I drop into sleep, I imagine Mom's state as a bundle of black strings and yarn writhing. Her shoulders hunch closer to her neck than I've ever seen before. All this bouncing from job to job, it's immature. Mom clicks around her computer. She has five tabs open, her screen alight in gray and blue. I'll help pay bills, I say. We can move out of this boat. You're supposed to prepare university applications, she says. Have you thought about the university to which you're applying? I roll my eyes. I think about it every day. All I do is run through scenarios in my head of what I can do with my life. God. Mom hides three windows on her computer and turns to me. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. Mom, you can't tell me you believe in God. Her wooden chair creaks as she recrosses her legs. I do. You haven't been to church in years. I have my own way of being spiritual. Mom's eyes skip down the ladder of ancestors framed to the wall. She pinned a poster this morning of Salvador Mundi from this season's traveling exhibition at the Hermitage. The poster is a da Vinci from which Christ peers. A crystal ball in one hand, two fingers of the other poised in blessing. There was a museum goer who said he thought the crystal ball represented the internet and that da Vinci was showing time travel was possible through the orb. The Hermitage banned him from stepping within 30 meters of their palace walls. I'm going to be late, 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 I think as I run down the halls, my boots thumping and echoing against the walls as I pound to the end of the school. I screech to a halt in front of the school gym. Two hundred desks fill the auditorium. Everyone in my year eleven class is here, drumming their fingers on the desks or shifting in their seats. I slip into the nearest free chair, still buzzing from my run to get here. I grip the desk to steady myself in the chair. Chairs scrape and shoes squeak as students take the remaining spots around me. My heart rate slows. I'm not even the last person here. I ran for nothing. I upturn a plastic bag, and stationery spills onto my desk. Waiting is the worst part. Actually jumping into a river or taking a test isn't so bad, but the spot before I have to do it makes me want to pull out my hair. I scratch my nose and chew on my hair, my spit wetting, an auburn clump. At the front of the gym stands our Russian teacher, holding her hand in the air. All right, everyone, Anzelina Vladimirovna says. Twenty minutes on the clock. And go. She pushes the button of a timer clenched in her hand. The class flips its exams in unison. The sound level drops as everyone peers at their papers. The entire senior class is working as a unit. Not because we're all cheating or anything, though, for all I know, everybody behind me is passing notes in an answer chain. We're doing something together and are on the same side for once. Taking this test is like being in a theater with everyone listening to the same Tchaikovsky concerto, walls beating with energy. But perhaps everyone is focusing on the test. Not tumbling in the emotions like me. I lean over my paper to read the prompt. But the words make no sense. I look up. Everyone else is scribbling. Chewing on their pens or staring at their papers. Tilting my head... I squint at the words on my page. Though I can't read the prompt, I know what the prompt says, like an oracle knows its prophecy. I click my pen and put the point under the prompt. The prompt has morphed and blurred. Wait. There's only one reason why words would change on their own. This is a dream my stomach clenches as i look around the gym my breath shortening my chest tightening no no don't wake up donna okay a voice responds who said that i look around everyone is ignoring me focused on their work this is a dream I can do anything. Why am I sitting here and taking this test? I scramble, shoving my exam from the desk. Papers flap to the floor. My classmates look up at me as I stand there, my cheeks reddening. Everyone is frowning at me. Their faces paused in confusion. Sitting tables away is a guy with a dark poof in his hair and knees pressing into the underside of his desk. Pointing at him, I say, Osokin, it's a dream. As I scoop my scrap papers into a pile, the gym bell shrills, the loud one used for basketball games. I clamp my hands over my ears, but too late. I wake up to my alarm blaring. Peter is overcrowded with immutable features. Traffic disobeying traffic. Gray clouds piling on top of one another to get a better view or racing to escape. Hordes of people frowning, and avoiding eye contact. McDonald's taught Russia how to respond to friendly customer service. People were abhorred by the smiling servers in baseball caps. Here, if you're smiling for no reason, something's wrong with you. From the bus stop to my school, the streets are lined with parked cars. I walk on the side, squeezing to the edge of the narrow road. I check for cars behind me. These roads were designed when there were fewer cars on the road. As I enter school, a grin creeps on my face. Why? Because I have the ticket to today's Russian essay. The security guard throws me a look as I show him my ID. That drops the smile from my face. Gee, you can't even smile around here. It'll put you on the suspect list. As I walk down the hall, I glance around at people hugging the lockers. I recognize everyone from my dream last night. The entire senior class was in that gym. Will anyone recognize that I dreamed about them? I hope not. Huddling at a locker, two people in my class whisper together. The locker door is flung open, and my heart skips a beat when I see a poster for the 1997 on the wall. But I continue to walk past, catching a snippet of their conversation as I march down the hall, keeping my head forward like my ears aren't glued to every word they're saying. Are you nervous for the essay today? asks Max Suyev. I'm more nervous for my university interview. I'm meeting with an interviewer after school today, says Marina Aslanova. I stop short of my locker. Shouldering the door on one side is Daria Barashva. On the other is Osokin, holding a sheet of paper in one hand and leaning on his cane with the other. In year eight, my locker was in a crowded hall pounding with noise. Paper airplanes flew above my head and elbows prodded into my back as people pushed past me. I carried all my books with me the entire year. I'm not in year eight anymore. No one can get in the way of me and my locker. What's must comply to all regulation standards supposed to mean? Osokin is asking Barashva. I clear my throat. Excuse me. I point. That's my locker. Barashva steps aside and I twist the lock. I can't believe three essays determine if I'll graduate. Osokin wails. Three essays. Who in their life will write three essays? I look over my shoulder. Osokin is running his hand through his hair, his cheeks going green. The worksheet crinkles in his tight grip. He leans against the wall of lockers and slides to the floor. I slam my locker closed. I know what the essay will be about. I say, the two stare at me. "No way," says Osokin. "What will it be?" "Knowledge can be a detriment and ignorance bliss," I say, making air quotes. Osokin wipes his brow. "That doesn't sound so bad. I'm going to start making outline. Knowledge can be detrimental." not in this case. So this is how you get straight fives. Barashva frowns. You're not smart. You get the info ahead of time. My cheeks burn. I shouldn't have told them. Why did I tell them? I massage my fingers worrying they will ask me how I knew the prompt. But they don't. As they walk away, the bell rings. First class, I pull my Russian binder from my backpack onto my lap. At the top of the page, I write, Essay Outline. I sneak ideas of what to write my essay about during my morning classes. Lunch I spend at the edge of the cafeteria planning my outline as I chew my sandwich grateful to have an advantage for the afternoon's test. In the last class of the day, I fidget in my seat. What if I'm wrong? At this point, I hope I am wrong. Barashava seemed displeased of me in my morning classes. I write my name and date on my paper and trace the letters a second time. The letters darken as I layer ink. Anselina Vladimirovna flops her binder closed and stands up. She scrawls the essay prompt on the board. Knowledge can sometimes be a detriment and ignorance bliss. My gaze rips from the board. I pretend to rub my shoulder as I glance at Osokin and Barashva behind me. Barashva's mouth hangs open, and Osokin is grinning to show his dimples. He pumps a fist and mouths, Yes! and nudges Barashva, who slaps his elbow away. Turning around, I worm my tongue around my mouth feeling where there's a hole in my tooth. I was right. I put my pen to the page. I'm getting the dazed sense of deja vu. I also get deja vu when I walk down a path to school that I took in grade 9. I stopped taking that path because I didn't want to see the friends I walked with who pushed me out of their friend group. They did more and more things without me until they were detached from me. Since then, I haven't tried to make friends. And I've been perfectly fine on my own. Or so I thought. If I was perfectly fine, would I be entering people's dreams? Wouldn't I just talk to them in real life? Agree with the essay topic whenever you can. Anselina Vladimirovna says, clicking on the timer. How can I agree? Knowledge is not a detriment. I can't get enough knowledge. Then again, wasn't I happier as a kid when I had few worries and lived without awareness of my surroundings? Nah, I was as worried as I am now. Ink bleeds and swells into a dot on my page. I have to start somewhere. Ignorance is not bliss. If you try to ignore something, you're going to find it later on. Everything you learn and every experience prepares you for the future, so you'll know how to handle the situation when it reappears. By ignoring knowledge, you delay the inevitable. For example, when Lance was four years old, he encountered a monster under his bed, made from skin and dust over the four years of his life. The monster was made from the past him. It was his story that haunted him. It was a story. Lance found the vacuum in the bottom shelf of his mom's closet. He vacuumed his past self. He threw the dust bunnies in the trash. He could change. He wanted to forget about the past four years, but he couldn't. Particles of the dust bunny blew up his nose. He sneezed. He was allergic. Another dust bunny grew. Lance, armed with the knowledge of who the bunny was, found his cleaner and vacuumed up the bunny. And that's why ignorance is not bliss. I put down my pen and flex my fingers. The timer says I still have ten minutes. I wrote in record time, having had the entire day to worm the prompt around my head. I finished writing twice as fast as the previous test. Last time the timer cut me off. Leaning back in my chair, I close my eyes. I'm drifting off, relaxing into a stupor, when the school bell rings me awake. I gather my things as everyone leaves the class. Barashava stops by the teacher's desk. She leans over the desk and whispers something to Anzalina Vladimirovna. Before Barasheva leaves, she glances at me. I stand and make for the door when Anselina Vladimirovna stops me. I'd like to ask you a question, Donna, she says. A trickle of nervous tea escapes me as she shuts the door. Does she know? There is no way. This is about something else. It has to be. It's about that reference letter I asked her to write for my college application. She'll have the letter for me. Worst case, she will say she doesn't know me enough and can't write it, and I'll have to ask Dr. Pesachio Maravich or my P teacher. Anzalina Vladimirovna straightens, back perfect. The posture I dream of having because mom flicks my wrist whenever I slouch at the dinner table. I heard you knew about the essay prompt before class, Anzalina Vladimirovna says. How did you know? I didn't go through your papers, I say. I didn't say you did. Shoot, I spoke too soon. I'm sorry, I say, trembling. That's the thing, Angelina Vladimirovna says. I didn't write down the prompt. I make each prompt up on the spot. How did you know what I was going to decide before I did? I pick at my nail. A deduction, I suppose. Shaking her head, she wags a finger at me. If I hear about this again, I'm giving you detention, she says. Why would someone accuse you of doing something impossible? What is going on with you kids? Is there another senior spat I should know about? My forehead crinkles. What do you mean, senior spat? She picks up a notebook and her red pen. We are not having another gang fight. I'd better not hear any accusations again. I gulp. You won't. Walking from the class, I tear up the skin around my nails. That was so close. My permanent record almost got ruined. See, this is why I don't talk to people. I cannot be getting into trouble with the school. Then they might find out where I live. I'm nearing the front doors when the smell of meat pies oozes from the cafeteria. I turn, following the scent, and get into line at the baked goods counter. I fiddle with ten rubles. Enough for a lemon pirog, not for a meat pirog. A guy cuts in front of me to stand with his friends. I hate this line. People always cut ahead of me. Pursing my lips, I step toward the guy to close the gap. Hey, whoa, a voice says behind me. Look who the cat dragged in. A grin is splitting Osokin's face. I become aware of the sweat compiling under my uniform, not helped by the fact that I refuse to shave. I have been looking everywhere for you, Osokin says, gesturing around the cafeteria. Under his other hand, his cane wobbles. He looks past my shoulder. Hey, Max. He says at the boy who cut in front of me. He reaches out and with his cane pokes Max Zuyev in the leg. Zuyev jumps aside, protecting his crotch. Osokin tosses Zuyev a water bottle. For your pains, he says. My pains? The plastic bottle crunches under Mark's fingers. I haven't got any pains. I heard Daria broke up with you last night, Osokin says. A cafeteria man calls next in the line, and Zuyev's friends clamber to the counter. No, I broke up with her. Zuyev unscrews the bottle and sniffs. He jerks his head back, but sniffs again, and sips. Dang. He says, thanks. The cafeteria man calls, next. Asokin turns to me. Thanks for the essay tip, Donna, he says. That was amazing. How did you know it beforehand? Why is he talking to me? He must want to use me for homework. I get straight A's and everybody knows it. Although the school disguises our names, it's easy to infer each other's student numbers. Predictive powers, I say, tapping my head. Great intuition. Next time you know something about a test, you should let me know. I frown. I knew he was using me for the brains. I would tell you, but I got told off because your friend Barashva told Angelina Vladimirovna all about it. She did? Ah. Daria wouldn't do that. I'm not sure, but it's suspect. I bite my lip, regretting accusing Daria. I try to avoid gossip because I know gossip could start about me. Where do you get your info? Osokin asks. I answer without thinking. Ah, uh, I knew the prompt. I had a dream about it. I wave a hand like it's nothing, though it's everything. His eyes widen. I can't believe I said that out loud. There's something about Osokin that makes it easy to blurt what's on your mind. I push hair from my face. My hand trembling. I got what I wanted. I've captured his attention. Curiosity gets the better of me, so I find social dreaming on podcasts. I blocked myself from listening to it, putting myself on cold turkey. Welcome to Social Dreaming, Season 1, Episode 3, says Vanessa Ruslana with a smile. Today I will share how I began my involvement in the field. It began a decade ago. Vanessa clears her throat. throat. I was on a bus on a pilgrimage throughout Israel. I entered a state of meditation like I was on the verge of falling asleep. I couldn't sleep because I can't sleep on the bus due to driving and vehicle anxiety. I was using lucid dreaming to cure my vehicle anxiety, or trying to. I had mastered lucid dreaming by this time and I was talking to my subconscious. I asked it, How can I relax about driving? My subconscious said, You can't. You should stop driving. I awoke with sweat beating on my forehead. I had to try again. My subconscious didn't give me a good answer, but I knew that problems weren't solved that easily. I went to sleep and asked the question into the canyon beside the winding road. I asked... How do I overcome my fear? The canyon responded, don't. You should leave. I awoke and thought it strange that I got the same response twice. I stood and went to the bus driver and told him, perhaps we should take a driving break. He looked at me like I had nerve. I must drive or we won't make it on time, he said. I offered to drive for him because I did have my licence, and he agreed. The second I sat at the wheel, the driver fell asleep right beside me. And the following morning, he told me he was so tired, if I hadn't taken over the wheel, he would have driven off the cliff at the next turn. My jaw drops at the news of Vanessa's life-saving dream. That is so cool. I want to ask my subconscious questions too. I'm flopped on my bed, earbuds clamped in my ears. Through the wall, mom snores. Look at your hand, Vanessa continues. Hands are an anchor for dreams when you're waking up. I raise my hand, and it molds into shadows. Shapes form in bumps on the ceiling, and I'm scared to turn my head. What if the junk and riffraff in the living room comes alive? What if I fall asleep and can't come back? I turn off the episode and tuck my hand under my thigh. Donna, think about something else, I whisper. I want to ask my subconscious Will I make friends this year? Will I get rich? Will I be happy? Will I, will I, will I? As I enter the Marinsky Theater, in the foyer, a hand blocks my face. We're closed today, private event. Security is printed on the man's arm. I'm here to see Vanessa Ruslana, I say. I'll need to see your ticket. I rub my arm. I don't have a ticket. The guard eyes me. Then leave. Wait, I say. Please, is there any other way? I'm a big fan of... Do I need to escort you out, miss? My shoulders slump. I need to meet Vanessa. If I could do anything in my whole life, I would meet Vanessa. She would give me advice on what to do with my life. But if I met her in a dream, would it be the real Vanessa? Or would it be a figment of my subconscious? I banged from the Marinsky theater doors. Disappointment etched on my face. There you are. A boy appears around the corner. You left without me, Simeon says, wiping hair from his face. They're not letting you in without a ticket. My head drops to my hands. I can't believe this. I'll miss my chance to see Vanessa in person. Simeon shakes his head. I can't believe you've fallen for the celebrity trap. That's how they take your money, you know. I crane my neck around the side of the theater. Let's go around the back. There's a way. We run around the side of the building. Bushes with metal like ends jab me as I slide along the wall beside Simeon, ducking my head under the window. I curse as I step in poo. Don't swear, Simeon says. My finger trembles as I point through the window. That's her! We peer inside. Vanessa radiates from the stage, gesturing wildly, a white object in her hand. Standing on tiptoe, Simeon clutches the windowsill. I can't hear what she's saying, he complains. Can we crank open a window or something? I push on the base, and the window opens a crack. I fix eyesight and post-traumatic stress injury. Through the slit pours Vanessa's voice. What is she saying? Simeon asks. I can barely hear a thing. He reaches up and pushes on the window. With a clang, the window falls into the lecture room. The audience's heads turn toward the crash. Stairs snap to us. Vanessa startles, and her eyes meet mine. The click of static enters from the opposite wall as a security guard turns on her radio and holds it up to her mouth. We've got intruders on the east wing. Repeat, intruders on the east wing. Simeon unclasps his fingers from the edge of the sill. Run! What? I ask. We can't. Go, go! He shoves my shoulder, and I'm forced to get up and run down the dirt strip alongside the building. Let's go! Simeon runs fast and surpasses me. I chase after him. My legs shoot under me, and I stare at the ground, feeling like I might trip at any moment. I nearly run into a pole and force my gaze upward. We pound through the streets gone bumpy with millions of footsteps stomping grooves into them over the centuries. Simeon surges down a cobbled alleyway, and I catch up behind him my heart pounding like we're running away from the mob. We run and run for blocks until Simeon slows to a stop, panting and keeling over. Yesterday, he says, taking a breath between each word. You didn't show. My brow furrows. Didn't show what? What? You didn't show up, he says. I was waiting for you at McDonald's. His shoulders slump. You're a fake. In the last dream I promised to meet with him in real life. I bailed out. I gnaw my lip. I forgot. He kicks a crack in the pavement. People are a constant disappointment. No, they're not. Wait, wait, wait. Sweat hardens on my cheeks in the cold. I'll make it up to you. No way. I thought you were real once. I'm done with you. Simeon clutches his head. Why is my dream trying to convince me I have friends? Hold on now. I'm real. Give me one more chance. Why should I? I should talk to real people. This is all a fake. Please, I say. One more chance. Thing is, I had friends, and they all dumped me. He's talking to himself. They kick me to the curb. He grips his hair, yanking at it. It's useless. No, it's not, I say. I'm thinking that I managed to see Vanessa in person. She didn't perform, but I saw her. I want to see her again. Simeon can give me insight into this shared dreaming. I could talk to Vanessa in my dreams. We have something here. I tell Simeon. But I didn't show up to McDonald's because your dad told me not to contact you, remember? His hands drop from his hair. There's a hard blow to the side of my head as an arm connects with my neck and I lift my head from under my arm on the pillow. My chest rises and falls. The security guards must have caught up with us. Why do I die during every lucid dream? It's as though my brain doesn't want me to have control. You've been listening to Chapter 3 of Social Dreaming. Subscribe because Chapter 4 is coming next Sunday.